moving forward in the book of Acts. And uh, we are in what book, church? Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And we're in Acts chapter 15 today. So I'm just going to have you turn right there, Acts 15, uh, and get yourselves ready as we move through this today as quickly as we can. Um, We have to look back again. Where does the book of Acts start? Anybody? Where? In the book of Luke. The book of Acts starts in the book of Luke. Why? Because who is the author of the book of Acts? Luke. And so if you want to find out what's going on in Acts, you need to start in Luke. Luke is about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Amen? His death, his resurrection, salvation through Jesus. But he also said, and we find out one of the other Gospels, he said, you will be even do greater things than these. What? How is that? Because Jesus leaned upon the Holy Spirit. He didn't lean on him. He lived by him and filled by him on earth. So what is Acts? The continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ, but this time through who? Through who, though? Us. Holy Spirit in us, through us, for we are the body of Christ. Where is the body of Christ today? Oh, about four people are in the body of Christ today. Who is the body of Christ today? Right here. We are the hands. We are the feet. We are the mouth. Some are really good at that. We are the mouth. We are the heart of Jesus. We are the love. We are Je- I love how Pastor Jim says it sometimes. He says, Jesus, we, we, we need to be Jesus with skin on it. Right? Jesus with skin. Okay? So, this is where we're at today. And, and so, what, what's happened so far? We had Pentecost. We had Jesus ascended into heaven. We had Pentecost take place. Holy Spirit pours out over the 120 gathered in the upper room. They preach, and man, Peter preached a heck of a message because 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. That was pretty cool. Preaches, shares Jesus. Was that by Peter's strength, anybody? Peter's strength? No. We also see a man named Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, who God transformed and used mightily. We see Saul heading out on a first missionary journey. We see the Gentiles experiencing the opportunity of salvation. And Gentiles, are are there any Gentiles in the house? Everybody should raise their hand, unless you have Jewish lineage I didn't know about. Every person should raise their hand. We're Gentiles. So we see the Gentiles experiencing salvation in the Holy Spirit. So when we get to uh, Acts 15, what's happened at this point is about 15, it's been about 15 years since... Jesus' resurrection, okay? So we've had some time go by. um, And what we find out in in chapter 15, verse 1, Paul and Barnabas, and there's Barnabas again, the son of encouragement. He was an encourager. He spoke truth. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are stationed in the city of Antioch. Everybody say Antioch. Where Jerusalem was kind of the headquarters of the apostles and disciples that were ministering to the Jews, what was the headquarters for ministry to Gentiles? Antioch. That just kind of is where it was, the city of Antioch. And so what happened was, here's Paul and Barnabas who's been out sharing Jesus with who? The Jews or the Gentiles? The Gentiles, the non-Jews. They've been out sharing Jesus, seeing him saved and set free, and then they go back to the city where their headquarters is, and guess what happens? Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers there 
unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Ouch. I mean, we're talking about people who've been there several years serving Jesus fervently. I thought I was saved. Well, here they show up and, and, and hear these zealous Jewish believers get in their face and say, No, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. All right, if you remember correctly, circumcision was the way, the symbol of being set apart as God's people in the Old Testament. It was a symbol, everybody say symbol, of being set apart. Paul and Barnabas were not really happy about this. I mean, this guy shows up on their turf. These guys show up on their turf where they've been preaching Jesus to the Gentiles. They've been sharing Jesus, and these guys show up and try to upend the whole thing. No, don't listen to these guys. You've got to be like who? Us Jews in order to be saved. That's what he said. That's what these guys said. You've got to be like us in order to be saved. You've got to follow our rituals and our traditions in order to be saved. Hello, look up here real quick. Just catch my eyes. Catch my eyes just for a second. Don't let anybody tell you except the Word of God. Summertime, my wife elbowed me this morning awake. It was 745. Normally I'm up at 6, 6.30 on a Sunday morning, 7.45, and at that point I'm like, oh, man. As my son says, it's church day. You ever had that? I mean, you knew it the night before, but that morning it's a surprise. It's church day. I got to preach this morning. Mm. So shake out that fog, right? Because God's good even when we're foggy. Paul and Barnabas are not happy about this at all. In fact, so much so, in the book of Galatians, anybody ever read the book of Galatians? Galatians, Paul is pretty hot on this particular situation. In fact, you ready for this? Paul was full of some fun stuff. This is what Paul said in Galatians 5.12 regarding people telling believers they had to be circumcised, Gentile believers they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. He said, I wish those agitators would go the whole way and cut it all off. Paul, don't mince words, my friend. He used the word emasculate, but I thought I'd better just kind of. But he said, he said, I wish these agitators would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. There it is. Paul was not happy about this. Don't you put extra stuff that doesn't need to be there as criteria for salvation. Don't do it. So the church obviously knew Paul was not happy. So they decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, which was kind of the headquarters of the of the disciples. And, and there in Jerusalem was kind of a, one, one of the main leaders there was James. It was not the apostle James that we're uh, aware of as the brother of John. He's already been killed by Herod, uh, martyred by Herod. This is James, possibly James the Lesser, one of the disciples. Uh, but he's also referred to at times in, in Scripture, at least once, uh, as the brother of Jesus. So this could have been one of Mary and Joseph's biological sons. 
We're not sure, but what we do know is he was also referred to as the Bishop of Bishops. He was the head honcho in Jerusalem when it came to the church. And he kind of presided over this council. So, the church sent Paul and Barnabas to go talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So, what was the question? Here we go. Should Gentiles, how many Gentiles in the house? This applies to you. Should Gentiles be circumcised to be saved? Do they have to do stuff in order to get saved? And then, let's add a second question to that. And if the answer is no, then how we as Jews are we supposed to fellowship with them? Because our traditions and our rituals don't make, don't don't connect. So what do we do? Well, here's the issue. Number one, this was not a debate about morality. These believers were serving the Lord. This was a debate about ritual. Yes, it was the law of God, but we see what Christ came and did to fulfill it. This was about ritual ritualistic law at that point. Folks, if these Jewish believers had read in prophecy, they would have seen where the Lord uh, uh, desired to really circumcise the heart. But because that wasn't in place yet, the only symbol they had was circumcision physically. But what is circumcision of the heart? A setting apart to God. Who I am, who I who I exist, who my what my life is. I am set apart to God Almighty. So this is ritual law that's being not not morality is not being debated. Ritual law. So first one up. Here comes Peter, my man. I'm sure Peter's not. You know, he's already kind of gotten into it a little bit. In fact, he messed up. He was hanging out ministering with, with Paul to the Gentiles, and these Jews show up, and Peter freaks out and starts hanging out with the Jews kind of giving a cold shoulder to the Gentiles. And Paul himself, I can sure, was going, Hello, Peter. I don't care if you've been a believer longer than me. You are not acting as the Spirit has caused to act. You're not living in freedom. You're scared to death of what these Jews are going to say about you. So you're not even living Christ right now. So Peter steps up and he says, Guys, to the council, he says, Guys, don't forget here, and this is Acts chapter 10. This might have been touched on a couple weeks ago. Don't forget, remember I told you I was in, I was, I was before the Lord, I was praying, and suddenly I saw this vision with this, this sheet just coming out of the sky, and all these animals, both clean and unclean, suddenly came tumbling out, and, I decla- and you declared in your voice that all things are now clean. And then remember when I told you that the Holy Spirit led me to go to this Gentile his house named Cornelius, and you told me to go. He told me to go there, and I went there. And all I did was preach Jesus, and suddenly the Holy Spirit fell, and they got saved, and it was incredible. Do you guys remember that? And I'm sure all the council is like, "Yeah." He said, "What are we going to do about that?" Because of God's moving in that way, these guys were not circumcised. They weren't. They were not circumcised. They didn't do anything extra. You know what? Bottom line, you know, Peter says in, in verse 10, let's look here in verse 10. Now then why? Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? We're going to get to that in just a moment. 
No, we believe it is through the grace of Jesus that we are saved just like them. How are we saved, folks? Grace. I'm hoping that the the, the crux of what I'm going to share today is on that, so don't let that word slip either. Grace. Because that is the word that most of us are confused about, including me. So, Peter steps up, and then Paul and Barnabas stand up in verse 12 and say, Look, God has done signs and wonders amongst the Gentiles. If he wasn't moving, if he wasn't bringing salvation to them, why, how could he be moving in might and in power like this? See, what they had to deal with was their ritual law that Jesus came to fulfill. See, Jesus, and I want everybody to understand this, Jesus became the ritual. Listen to that. Jesus became the rituals. And the only way you can let Jesus become the rituals is by having faith in him and receiving his grace. Now, let me touch in on that just for a second. The law. Everybody say Ten Commandments. There you go. It's an easy way to remember the law. It's about 550,000, or about 550 or more of them, 600 more of them, but we'll just say Ten Commandments. The law was given to us by Moses through the Holy Spirit, right? Why was it given to us? Was it to save us? How many growing up thought that if I just followed the Ten Commandments, I'd be saved? Okay, you ready for this? Y'all are failures. The law was given to us not to save us. It couldn't. You want to know what it was there for? So that we could see that there's nothing in us that could save us. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't be smart enough. We couldn't be right enough. We couldn't love enough. We couldn't not love enough. We couldn't hate enough. We could None of that. We couldn't do it. We can't do it. The Ten Commandments were, were put in place to say, hey... Now you're going to, it's like a mirror. Now you're going to see just how bad off you are. Here's the law. Now you're going to see how bad off you really are and how bad you need a Savior. Because had the Ten Commandments not been in place, had those law, that law not been in place, guys, we wouldn't have known we needed a what? And you say, why didn't God just tell Moses to stand on the mountain and say, you need a Savior? Because we're people. How many peoples do we have in here today? We all share a similar characteristic. You know what that is? We try to take care of things on our own. We try to deal with life on our own. And so the moment Moses would have said, y'all are in bad shape and, you you know, we need to stop doing this, everybody would have tried their best to change their behavior and lie a little less and covet a little less. And they would have found out after a while that they were going to fail, that they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. How many people here today have, have, have something in your lives that you have tried and you have tried and you have tried and you cannot change it? Hands in the air like you just don't care. Come on. Yes. Guess what? Good. I'm glad maybe you might be seeing now. You can't change it. You can't change a blame thing about yourself. We're pretty good, but, you know, we have changed outward appearances. But what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? They're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. They were playing the religious game and were a mess on the inside. Because, guess what? These weren't bad guys. I believe that these guys were morally desired to do the right thing. But they kept what? Failing and didn't want anybody to know it. And so the ones that did fail and let everybody know about it, they just didn't become Pharisees. 
They just ran the other way and did their own thing. How many people, I'm going to ask this one other question because it's important for us to see this. How many of us, honestly, you got this thing in your life or these things in your life and you've tried and you said, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing this? But you yourself truly are the one trying to do it, trying to modify that behavior. Oh, God, where are you? This Christianity stuff doesn't work. This God stuff doesn't work. I'm done. Huh? Anybody been guilty of that before? Anybody guilty about about 300 times before? And then God does something, and he draws your heart back. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Even though he's not wanting you to come groveling at his feet, he just wants you to get stand back up and dart right back at him. What does it say in Hebrews 12? Run the race. It doesn't say crawl like you're a little baby who can't do anything. Yes, you can do one thing. Get your eyes on Jesus and run like you've never run before to him. Because he's your only hope. He's your only hope. The law was put in place to tell us. You can't do it. You need Jesus. Who hears that today? So we've all lied, we've coveted, we've hated. The law, are you ready for this? Some of you might have a hard time with this. How many know that the law was designed, the Ten Commandments were designed for you to fail? You ever thought of it that way before? They were designed for you to fail. Why? Because God wants to mess with you? No, he wants to get your attention. Maybe if you get to a point where you realize, wow, I can't do this, God finally says, ding, 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 ding. Amen? So, what was our end result here after these guys shared? Let's the 14. Simon, and he's talking about Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for himself. This is James speaking, by the way, for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. Part of this comes out of Amos chapter 9, but you can listen to this. Verse 16, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Let me tell you about this tent, by the way. The ark had been captured by the Philistines. After a series of events, David gets it back. Now, Moses' tabernacle was still standing about six miles from Jerusalem. But David didn't want to take the ark back to the the tabernacle. No, he pitched a tent right outside his front door, so to say, and put the ark there. Why? Because I don't know that David really felt like going six miles every time he wanted to spend time with the Lord. He wanted to be in the presence of the Lord 24-7. Oh, who heard that? He wanted to be in the presence of the Lord 24-7. So he pitched his tent. And then he hires worshipers and musicians and everybody. Do you know what was going on 24-7 right, out, right in Jerusalem? Church, worship, going on day and night. God was moving. People were being set free. Why? Because they didn't have this tabernacle thing going on. It was the first time in Old Testament history where the only thing... That was containing God's presence was a little tent, and everybody got to partake. There it was. Find it, Second Samuel chapter six. There it was. Worship, intimate relationship. God wanting you, you wanting Him. God wanting to do things in you and heal you and set you free. You getting your eyes off yourself and on Him and being set free. So He says, "Look." I will, after this, God had declared, after this I will return, rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, for the rest, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. 
Let me tell you what else that tent represents. It didn't just represent this, this place of worship. It represented a state of being. People in intimate relationship with God. In unity with God. Connected to God. This is what's going on. He's basically saying, hey, we are a ruined bunch of people that God has chosen to rebuild through his, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That worship, that place of worship, guess who is the tent of the Holy Spirit in God's presence now? Who is? We are that tent, and he wants to rebuild. Is he rebuilding? Yes, he's already put it in place. He's setting us free. And what's the purpose of that? That the rest of the world may seek the Lord. That the Gentiles may come to know. Uh, folks, I, I don't think you're catching me on July 31st, 2016 right now. God is, has rebuilt you, no matter what Satan is saying about you. He has rebuilt you. And you can turn your head and you can turn your heart away from God and say, none of this stuff works. None of this stuff works. But the problem is, that doesn't stop God from working. So you're the one that's suffering, not him. He says, I've already begun something. Aaron, I've already started something in you. You might as well receive it. You might as well take it. Oh, but God, God, and maybe you're going to catch me here in a second. God, you don't understand. I've got such a foul mouth, and I get angry, and I let words fly. There's no way you could take me. And God says, why are you mocking me that way? How dare you tell me that I can't take you? I didn't tell you to be clean and then come to me. I said, come to me, and I'll make you clean. Oh, but I call myself a believer, and then I got this filthy mouth, and when I get angry and these words fly out, and it's just stuff in my heart, and I don't know. And then I try to stop, and the more I try to stop, the more I... And Jesus says, you know what? Maybe what you should do is stop trying to stop and start receiving the fact that I've already given you the victory. And then be patient and let me do it. You know what's wrong with America? You want to hear what's wrong with America? We're talking about the division and the, and the conference and in, 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 in America, bottom line. I think it's this. We have been told in the land of the free and the home of the brave that we can accomplish anything. Problem is, guess what? So when that happens, then we all feel like failures and then become little, and either we get driven to do it harder or we become like little infants and we go, we can't do anything right. And number two... We live in a society that has completely obliterated the understanding of patience. Okay? We have no concept of what it is to be patient. God says, no, you can't do it. I can, but be patient. Two things that do not happen in the U.S. Change of thinking, folks. You know what God's grace says? I love you. You know what? So you got, you got, you got a mouth on you. Yeah, that doesn't represent me too well. But you know what? I died for that mouth. I died for that mouth, and either you're going to trust me to set you free from that mouth, or you can go run your other way and fail again, and fail again, and fail again. Oh, I never shared Jesus enough. I don't, I'm just terrible about sharing Jesus. Or I'm so fearful and I worry so much. What do I do? What do I do? I've got to stop worrying. Anybody tried to stop worrying before? Oh, word, you worry about worrying. God came to set you free from that. His grace is sufficient. You say, then what do I got to do? Nothing. Have faith in Jesus that he came to set you free. He didn't wait for you to come to him. Oh, I don't think we're getting it today. 
I don't think we're getting a day. He said, I came rebuild these ruins here because I'm going to use these ruins that I'm rebuilding to share Jesus with the world. That grace with the world. Oh. You're ready to go home because I'm only halfway through. I'm sorry. It's just... Let me say something to some of you parents today. Stop trying to make your kids follow Jesus. You just declare Jesus. You declare Jesus. You speak truth. You let that truth, you let that grace, you let that mercy work in you so that you begin to live truth, not by your strength, but by His power. And watch what God does in your kids' lives. I hear people say, oh, I don't want to be driven away. I don't want to drive my kids away. No, you need them in church. You need to declare Jesus. You need to pray over him. But you know what? I got a nine-year-old, soon to be ten. And oh, God, I know I've already failed as a parent if I try to do it on my own strength. If I try to make this one follow Jesus, I probably will drive her away. But am I going to speak truth to her? And I'm going to present Jesus to her? You better believe it. You better believe it. Sorry. I wasn't expecting this stuff for like 15 or 16, you know. Uh, all y'all parents who were around when I was doing teenagers, and y'all said, y'all said, well, you know, I know you've been working with kids, but you really won't know until you had your own. And, of course, me and my ignorance would think, oh, I think I got this thing down. I don't have it down. I don't. But God does. Woo. So, we're to be a witness to all the world. John 17 jumped right out at me when I read that. So you'd be a witness to all the world. Well, how does that happen? What did John 17, uh, 21 say? Basically, it said this. Jesus was praying. It was his longest prayer. He was praying to the Father. He said, then all of them, talking about all the believers, may be one as we are one, so that the world will know that you have sent me. See, it's that same kind of thing. What was going on there? Jesus was basically saying this. When Jesus was on earth, he removed all his deity and came as a man, correct? Lived completely on on the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus, will say, was red. And he's praying to his Father in heaven, saying, we are one. We'll we'll say the Father is blue. When you put red and blue together, what do you get? Can you separate purple after purple becomes purple? Butch, could you stand, please, just for a moment? I'm sorry, you wore the shirt. Can you separate that shirt back into a blue shirt and a red shirt? No. That blue and that red is in severe unity, isn't it? It ain't coming apart, is it? Guess what? That's the kind of unity that the Son walked with the Father. And it's the same kind of unity that the Son wants us to walk with Him. To trust that He is so in tune with us that we are growing and being in tune with Him. We're no longer red. He's no longer blue. We're purple together. Let no man separate what God has brought together. I want to live in that kind of unity. Anybody in here? You live in that kind of unity. You know what it's going to do? It says we're one in spirit with the Lord then. In 1 Corinthians, we're one in spirit with the Lord. And then guess what that's going to happen? What's going to happen in this? Oh, I get excited. I'm sorry. What's going to happen? The world is going to see Jesus. Why? Because when they look at us, they see who we are united with. We become a new creature, don't we? And it's not based on anything I did. If I come up to Jesus and I say, hey, Jesus, I tell you what, I'm going to beat myself in the face a couple times. 
I'm going to uh, only eat vegetables. You know that would be torturous. Come on. I'm only going to eat vegetables. Oh, well, the word, and cantaloupe. Oh, dear God. But I'm such an awful person, God. I'll eat cantaloupe for the rest of my life. And those red beets my father used to make me eat, I'll do it too. Oh, I won't even eat my birthday cake on my birthday, Lord. I'll do everything I can to get you to do, God. And the Lord is gone. To get me to do, I've already done. Why don't you just come here and run after me and take it? You want healing from addiction? Whew. You know, I've, I've, had a, I've had a major addiction in my life. My, my, my eating, it's awful. I run to food. And food's one of those things where you can't just say, oh, I don't need it. Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, I do. But, you know, y'all trying to take me down a whole other route here, aren't you? But with me, I have battled my weight my whole life. And it's not because of any other reason than I trust food to temporarily make me feel better rather than trusting that God will carry me when I feel bad. Who hears that? And so that's an area that I know that the Lord says, look, don't go for the temporary stuff. That's what you're getting blinded here. Because then you're going to hate yourself because you gain weight. And then you gain weight and you feel bad about yourself, so you eat more. And then you eat more and you feel bad about yourself, so you eat more. Isn't that just like Satan? Come on. Isn't that the devil? That's the enemy of our lives. I hate myself, but I want more. I want more. Now, the Lord says, stop trying to avoid the bad times. Just trust me to carry you through them. Stop trying to avoid them. Because what's going to happen is that I carry you through them, you're going to get to the other side. And the other side rocks. It's awesome. It's awesome. Whether that other side is a moment here or, or, or eternity, the other side, guys. We cannot, I can't emphasize enough, we cannot add something else to salvation that's not there. You are saved by putting your faith in Jesus. That's it. I've heard people come out of here, out of the, out of the baptismal, and suddenly they're never going to do this again. They're never going to do that again. They're never going to do this again. And I think, God, if that's the Lord talking, praise be to God. But if that's you talking, oh, boy, you're setting yourself up to fail. See, Jesus wants to transform your life. Anybody ever looked around somebody at church or saw a brother in Christ or sister in Christ go, if I could just be like them, who's guilty of that? If I could just act like them or talk like them, you know, if anybody's done that to me, please don't try to be like me. Guys, listen to me. Man can only conform. God is the only one that can transform. You hear that? So when you try to do stuff... You're only conforming to what you think it should look like. And then you get agitated because it doesn't change. Or bad stuff happens. You're like, oh! Anybody, bad stuff happens. You're like, what did I do wrong? Anybody? What did I do wrong? Well, you know what? And interesting, we first say what I do wrong rather than say, what is it that God's done right? But God, it happened. It took way too long for you to do something. The Israelites should have only taken 11 days to get to the promised land. They just wouldn't receive what God had for them. Because they thought they knew different. They weren't patient. So guess what? 40 years. 40 years. So, 19 and 20 says this. James says this. My judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Of course not. 
Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, and I'm going to get this in a second, from sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Now, the reason being is this. Does anybody know what it means to be in contract with have a contract with somebody? It means that you sign in blood on the dotted line that you will fulfill what you're supposed to fulfill, and they will fulfill what they're supposed to fulfill, and if they don't, they're in breach of contract, and there could be legal implications. Correct? But then there are those, there's this thing called covenant. Does anybody know what a covenant is? It's where you commit yourself to the betterment of another person. Who do we know that made the first covenant? God Almighty with Abraham. Here's the crazy part. They set it up this way. This is how they used to make covenants. They'd sacrifice animals, put the, each half down a line, and the two people making a covenant would walk between those animals. I won't go into the logistics of why they did that, but here's what happened. When God made a covenant with Abraham and ultimately the people of Israel, you know what he did that first time? Normally it's both people that make the covenant. Good on you. Uh, Abraham was knocked out and knocked, basically knocked out and, and prostrate and just the sense of the awe and fear of God. And then he saw what looked like a torch, like a flame, which was God's presence going between the slaughtered animals. Only God's presence went in between. And then it turned around and God said, a covenant has been made. Now, I think you just missed it. Abraham never walked through it. So what was being said? God saying, hey, we've made a covenant, and I'm the only one that can make it happen. I'm it. Abraham, you can try all you want, and you're not going to make it happen. I'm the only one that can make it happen. So, I've set up a covenant. And this is what these guys, these apostles, they're looking at the Jews saying, you know what? You know how you're going to fellowship? When you're sitting at the table, a Gentile sitting at the table with a Jew, you just choose not to eat what could offend them. Or you stand firm on what Scripture is saying regarding immorality. Together. You surround, you do not, but you do it for the betterment of who? The other. Because Christianity is not about me, 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 me. Walking with Jesus is not, not about, about me, 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 me. First about him and then about who? Guys, I know this is going on a little bit, but I just need to just continue here. Judas and Silas then were two that were sent back to Antioch to say, hey, this is what we decided, guys. Don't listen to them guys that told you you had to be circumcised. Don't listen to them. This is what, we, what, what we've got. And then they, it said they had something really interesting. They preached the gospel again. Listen to this. They preached the gospel again. Don't lose this. Don't miss this. These people have been believers for a couple years, but they preached the gospel again. And they were encouraged. Why? Because sometimes we forget what the gospel says. You can't. He can't. You didn't, he did. You failed, he gave you the victory. Sometimes we need to remember that. You know why hypocrisy is so rampant in the church? Because people are too scared or too embarrassed or too prideful to say they failed. Or they're struggling. It is. That's what we've created, a nice club of hypocrisy. Is it a wonder that the world goes, I don't know. When God said, you can't, he can. He's done it. Praise be to God, he's done it. Hey, let's just throw these down. I'm going to end right here. Let's just throw these down. Who here right now? I battle fear, anxiety, depression. Just throw your hand up. Throw your hand up. Come on. Okay. You know what? Stop trying to not be that way. And let Him, as you trust Him, no matter how long it takes, you trust Him, He's going to bring you. He's going to set you free from this. Now, you've got to reach out and receive that. I'm going to be set free. 
I know how I feel right now, but I'm going to be set free. I know that I feel like garbage, but I'm going to be set free. Who here struggles with an addiction of some type? You have an addiction, uh, whether it be food, alcohol, anything. Come on. My hand's up. Okay. God wants to set you free. In fact, he already has. Woo! God already set you free of it. He's just saying, reach out and grab it. And let me do that work in you. How many feel like you're just, oh, I just can't quite share Jesus like I desire. I can't get it out there. I'm just not the stellar evangelist or whatever. And people are not uh, whatever. How many people struggle with that? Okay. God has already brought you freedom. In fact, you already said you can't be a stellar evangelist. It's my spirit working within you that's going to do it. So lay that one down. Trust me, be in unity with me. I know it's got a long day, but who, have I lost anybody? Are you with me today? I know if you read on in Acts 15, what ends up happening is Paul and Barnabas get into a disagreement. But one thing I want you to understand, it was not over a spiritual matter. And God honored the, the two ministries that separated for a while. And healing did occur. You can look that up when you're on. Paul was reconciled with Mark and with Barnabas. But it was not over a spiritual issue. Church, are we able to be in disunity over non-spiritual things? And it be okay? Yeah. Hey, I don't like pews. But I keep it here because it's traditional. Plus, we don't have enough money to buy chairs. But is that a big deal? Can we make it as people a big deal? Yeah, that's unnecessary. But we can be in, not be in one accord about those things. But when it comes to spiritual matters, folks, if there is a disconnection amongst us over spiritual matters, somewhere along the line, there's a disunity here. Because anytime there's disunity in the church over spiritual matters, it's because we are in disunity with the Lord. Did you hear that? One side or the other is. And so when we had those guys coming in preaching, be circumcised, be circumcised, they were in disunity with the body. They thought they knew what they were supposed to be like. No. And I'm trusting maybe they got set free so that they themselves didn't feel like they had to add anything else. Folks, Stop it. I mean that. Stop trying to be what you think you're supposed to be. Stop trying to quit all your behaviors and start putting your faith and trust in the only one that can transform you. Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Let it pour out over you. Receive the Holy Spirit in a mighty way. Let Him work in you and through you. You know, there's times that I think the church, people want to come down hard. You don't preach enough about sin. The problem is, I, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, if I preach on sin all the time, I'm just sin-minded. And I'm missing the victory. And I'm missing the grace. You say, well, if you preach on grace all the time, that grace, how can that be any good? You're missing the sin. Well, here's the issue. I'm not telling you that grace gives you the chance to go sin. But I am telling you this, grace is your only hope to escape sin. Grace is all you got. Grace is all I got. And according to Paul, it's more than enough. Anybody happy about that? Yeah. So, who are sinners saved by grace? Come on. Sinners saved by grace in this house. And let's give a shout of praise to the one who has saved us. Come on. Praise be to God. 
Lord, I'm just praying over every person here today. Addictions. Lord, you've already set them free. You're crying out now. You're saying, come, take hold of your victory. Brokenness. You're saying, come, take hold of your victory. Doubt and frustration. Cloud. Come, take hold of your victory. Pride. Come, take hold of your victory. Your freedom. It is so unnecessary to live under more bondage of slavery, to sin, and to, and to the law. And we are slaves to righteousness because we are the righteousness of God because of Jesus in our lives. So just as we saw, Lord, these men trying to make others add on to salvation, no. You, as you always have been and will always be, are more than enough to set us free. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, Amen. Love on each other a little bit.